Happy Sabbath to you all, and welcome to any guests we have here, and greetings to all our brethren around the world. Uh, we had about three inches of snow last night, but uh, God's hand is evident in all the beauty of the snow-covered trees and landscape. It was just absolutely fabulous this morning. Just really appreciate that. When we uh, returned from Jamaica Thursday, it was 84 degrees in Jamaica, 64 degrees in Miami, and 24 degrees in Charlotte when we arrived. So it's good to be back, I guess. <clears throat> but we also uh, bring you greetings from our brethren in Jamaica who enjoyed the Sabbath services. As you heard in the announcements, we had 103 record attendance in Kingston. And then the Tomorrow's World Bible Lecture the following morning, where we had 157 Tomorrow's World subscribers and uh, 54 members. I told them then, I said, uh, you know, we saw in the television news that there were blizzards in Washington and Washington, D.C., the Northeast. Aren't you glad to be here in Jamaica? And oh, yes, yes. But there may be some reasons why you are not glad to be here in Jamaica, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, one of the headlines had to be with blood neighborhoods, where gangs can, can control certain neighborhoods within uh, in Kingston, and uh, mothers and children and uh, neighbors are killed. You don't cross from one neighborhood to the other. But that's in a different section of Kingston. But the audience was very responsive. Uh, I found that when I started quoting a, a common scripture, that they would start, start audibly quoting it with me. So I later invited them when I had a common scripture to join me in quoting the scripture. So we had a very knowledgeable audience. We had a, a, qu a question and answer session after that. And uh, very interesting questions. You know, should you keep the, uh, are the annual festivals required? And uh, should you rest or should you worship on the weekly Sabbath? So these were some of the questions that were asked. We had about a 20-minute question and answer session, and we had refreshments for the follow-up. But uh, Dr. Scott Winnell will be uh, speaking the follow-up lecture in Kingston next Sabbath. He's here. You can wish him well. Uh, the Jamaican brethren pass on their love to Dr. and Mrs. Mer Meredith and the headquarters congregation. In our staff kitchen room here, there is a plaque on the wall which has a photo of Dr. Roderick Meredith in 1949 and another photo in 1999 with a statement, 50 years in the work of God. Now we should have another plaque, 60 years in the work of God. Dr. Meredith will be 80 in June 2010. He's only 79 right now. But I've told Dr. Meredith that Moses just began his work at age 80. And so I hope Dr. Meredith is committed to work for another 40 years starting in June. <laughs> Mr. Partian began teaching at Ambassador College in 1955. And uh, at age 91, he's still working faithfully here at headquarters. So these men have persevered for many years. How strongly committed are you to persevere? Let's turn to Matthew 24, verse 13, a scripture with which you're very familiar. Matthew 24 and verse 13. Jesus had been given the end time prophecies, the trends, the prophetic events that would occur at the end time. 
and of course typically happened in 70 AD with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. But in verse 13 he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 24 verse 13. We must commit ourselves to endure to the end. The following verse, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we have a mission, a mission to persevere, to fulfill the mission that God has given us. Let's take a look at a couple of examples of perseverance. Let's turn to Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke 18, we're one of those examples. This is the parable of the persistent widow or in the King James called the importunate widow. She importuned. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, verse 1, How many do you know that have lost heart and have not persevered? Saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The principle Jesus was giving here was that of persistent prayer. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Verse 7, And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him? That should be all of us. That we're crying out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? We need to persevere to the very end time. There are many others in God's church through the ages who have persevered. One was Herbert W. Armstrong. This is from the Worldwide News, February 10th, 1986. Herbert W. Armstrong, 1892 to 1986. And, of course, there were letters that were sent from the mayor of Pasadena, from uh, President Ronald and Nancy Reagan, um, about the death of Mr. Armstrong. One of the comments about Mr. Armstrong on page 3, quote, The joy of his life was doing the will of God, and he carried right on doing it until the end of his long and eventful life. Mr. Armstrong had truly given himself to God, and in him God gave us an example of wholehearted devotion and faithfulness to our calling, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, First Peter 1.4. Let that example motivate us as God's people around the world to run with endurance the spiritual race that is set before us. So there are many saints, and of course Hebrews the 11th chapter, the faith chapter, gives us many examples of those who persevered. Let's take a look at another example of persistence in Luke the 11th chapter. Luke 11 and verse 5. Luke 11 and verse 5. A friend comes at midnight, is the subhead. And he said to him, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. 
<laughs> That's kind of funny. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. He's not going to get up in the middle of the night for his friend. But will he get up if someone is persistent? Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Are you persistent in the right way? Are you persevering as God wants you to persevere spiritually? And, of course, as we face the trials and tests that are common, we need to, again, persevere. We take a look at many illustrations in sports, those who overcame great adversities to become champions. I was moved years ago by the one story of Wilma Rudolph. And uh, there was a movie, actually, about her, the girl who wouldn't give up. Wilma was the 17th child of a poor family in Tennessee. And she was unable to walk. Her mother took her on a bus to Nashville so she could get doctor's advice. And the doctor said, you know, Mrs. Rudolph, the only way your daughter is going to be able to walk is that if you massage her legs... And you can have some of the other siblings help massage her legs over a period of time. So they did that. They kept massaging her legs. And as Wilma grew up, she was interested in basketball. There was a basketball hoop. So she struggled to get out there and shoot baskets and began to get a little strength in her leg. When she was in high school, she saw the track team. She went out for track. She didn't do very well. But she persisted. Later on, she got a scholarship to uh, one of the Tennessee colleges. And in 1960, she participated in the Olympics. And she ran the 100-yard dash. She was the first American to get a gold medal in the 1960 Olympics. But Wilma persevered over all those years, a little girl who couldn't really walk, ended up winning the gold medal, and she was called the Queen of Track. You can read about her in a book called Winners Never Quit by Phil Pepe. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Sometimes we don't feel like uh, persevering or enduring. How do you counteract that, that feeling? Well, you remember, of course, the quote by Winston Hurt Churchill, and that quote is in the Recent Living Church News, March-April 2010. How many of you have received your March-April Living Church News? Okay, uh, that's a good 28%. How many of you don't know whether you have received the Living Church News? Okay, well, we have an article in there <clears throat> titled Seven Keys to Godly Success, and you all know what the sixth law of success is which is perseverance, or persevere toward your goal. During World War II, I'm reading from the article, when the future looked gloomy for Great Britain, Prime Minister Winston Churchill inspired his audiences to persevere. Here is what he told students at Harrow School on October 29, 1941. Quote, Surely from this period of ten months, this is the lesson. 
Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. End of quote. Winston Churchill inspired a whole nation to persevere through the tests and trials of the beginning of World War II. We need to have that same attitude to never give in. For the rest of the sermon, I want to share with you seven principles for persevering. And that's the title of the sermon is Principles for Persevering. Number one is to keep your eye on the goal. Of course, that's a principle we use in many different sermons, but if we're going to persevere, we need to know where we're headed. We need to have that goal. Let's turn to Philippians, the third chapter, Philippians 3. And, of course, you all know Matthew 6:33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that you frustrate over or obsessed about uh, that our godly God will give to you. First, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Here in Philippians 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, of course, we have a very high calling. It was just impressed upon me there in Jamaica at the uh, Tomorrow's World Lecture. Where here are people who are asking very fundamental questions. Are we obligated to keep the Sabbath? Are we obligated to keep the annual festivals? And God's people have this precious truth that the world does not have. I was thinking of them as Jesus said, you know, in Matthew 9, that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them and said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers into the harvest. God has given us awesome truth and given us a high calling. Verse 15, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If you have a wrong thought or you're going off in the wrong direction, if you want God to correct you and guide you, he will. But the Apostle Paul was committed toward the goal. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number one is to keep your eye on the goal. You know Proverbs 29:18, but let's turn back there. Proverbs 29:18. Again, there are many other sports figures, an example one some years ago I was inspired about was that of Terry Fox. Uh, Terry Fox was a 22-year-old who lost his right leg to cancer, and he set a goal of running across Canada with his prosthesis and one leg to raise funds for cancer. And there's a photo of him here. Uh, he did not make it across the country. He died before then, but every year Canadians have a Terry Fox Memorial run, but he impressed me that uh, he wanted to 
raise money for cancer and with his one good leg and his prosthesis ran across Canada until he died. There are others who just have that kind of commitment. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. When there is no prophetic vision, where there is no guidance from God, as the King James has it, from no vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. And God has given us prophetic vision. He's given us revelation. He's given us guidance so that we can stay on the right track, that we can seek the goal and go forward and keep our eye on the goal. But happy is he who keeps the law. Keep your eye on the goal. I just have to share with you another one. I've One of these sports figures who persevered, actually it was uh, in 1982, and I remember in our, our home in uh, Mar- on uh, thank you, Malin Street in Pasadena, the Partians lived on Malin Street too, we were going to a college dance, and I think it was a Sunday evening, and uh, ABC Sports, I believe it was, was on, and they had the Ironman Triathlon. Uh, you know what the Ironman Triathlon is. It is that you swim for 2.4 miles in the ocean, you bicycle for 112 miles, and then you run a marathon for 26.2 miles. Well, I was about ready to leave to go to the dance and here watching on television, and, and Julie Moss was leading the women. She was the leading woman in running. And just 100 yards before the finish line, she stumbled and fell. Well, I started to go out the door. No, no, i got to watch Julie. And, and Julie, get up. I'm, I'm saying, Julie, get up, get up. So she got up, and she walked a little few more steps and fell again. By then, the second woman came by and passed her up. And she got up just like a, oh, like a newborn calf and just kind of bent over, could hardly walk. She got closer to this, about 10 yards before the finish line, and fell flat on her face. And then she began to crawl. And Julie's just crawling. My tears are coming down my eyes. Julie, crawl, crawl. <laughs> she, she finally finished. Just one of those incredible finishes. In fact, it's Time Magazine, October 25th, 1982, showdown with an Iron Man. And it tells about Julie Moss, 23, sprawled helplessly on the ground a fourth time as another woman ran by her to win the race. Moss still refused to quit. She crawled hand over hand to grab second place. ABC's Wide World of Sports, which covered the contest, considers its finish one of the most dramatic moments in the 21-year-old history of the program. Almost bringing tears to my eyes thinking about uh, seeing that event when it happened years ago. Key number one, principles for persevering, is to keep your eye on the goal. Principle number two is to run the race with consistent effort. Run the race with consistent effort and patience. Let's turn to, again, one of the, my favorite verses, which I've probably shared with you in the last three or four sermons each time. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Keep your eye on the goal, number one. Number two, run the race with consistent effort and endurance and patience. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. 
Remember that here you've had the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, with so many who had endured. No, Abraham who had endured, Joseph who had endured, and Moses who had endured. Therefore, verse 1, chapter 12, Hebrews, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the men and women of faith in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. What sin so easily ensnares you? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The King James is patience. Run the race with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, or the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was able to see the outcome of his trial. He had the vision, the joy that was set before him, even though he was in terrible pain, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen to this. It goes on in verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So our Savior endured hostility. He is an example of endurance. Well, while we're here, we go look across the page at the example of Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You can't make it on your own but you endure by seeing him who is invisible. You look to Christ at the right hand of God. He is our living, loving Savior. You can endure to the end because you have a Savior who is there for you. Number two is run the race with patience and consistent effort. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, let's go on to verse 11 in Hebrews 12. We think a little briefly here about correction. Hebrews twelve eleven. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And I know when I've been corrected in the past, years ago, I felt, oh, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to give up. I'll just be a wallflower, you know, and blend into the wallpaper. (laughs) No, but that's not. He says, lift up the hands that hang down. Strengthen the feeble knees and go forward in spite of the trials, in spite of the, not in spite of, but as a result of beneficial correction, go forward. Some have lacked... uh, lacked motivation, and have lacked consistent effort. Let's turn to Ephesians 6 and verse 18. Ephesians 6 and verse 18. You know when you're jogging, Dr. Meredith ran the mile in uh, high school, and uh, I think later on as well. And you know when you're, you're jogging, any of you have jogged a mile or two miles or whatever, it's just the same old, same old. And I remember one student giving a speech in class one time. He said, well, the way you run a long distance is just count. 
One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You just do that for over and over and over again for however long it takes you, the 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 minutes it takes you to run the two miles or however long you're running. But it's just that rhythm, pace, and balance. It's another principle I'd like to talk about one time. I, we had a uh, teacher one time in golf, and uh, he uh, said, now, the principles for athletics, and of course not only athletics, but in life itself, rhythm, pace, and balance. And of course you really need that in golf, but uh, in other sports and in life it helps as well. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verse 18, talking about our helmet of salvation, our spiritual armor, praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Yes, we need the consistent effort. We need to run the race with patience, number two. Number three is to be totally committed. Six weeks from tomorrow night is the Passover, and we need to consider the commitment we made at baptism where we counted the cost in Luke, the 14th chapter, and we realized, yes, I am committing my life to God and to Christ, and I will endure, I will be faithful unto the end, to the day I die. As it tells us in Romans, you know, whether we live, we belong to the Lord. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. If you've made that commitment, you have a faith, you have a contentment, because you know that you are in God's hands. Be totally committed if you're going to persevere. Again, the Ironman tri Triathlon is, uh, is an example of those who've made a commitment. They continue to work, and they pr practice, and they keep going, and they don't give up. One of the quotes by Henry Ward Beecher is the following. The difference between perseverance and obstinacy is that one often comes from a strong will and the other comes from a strong won't. So we need that strong will to have our will channeled towards doing what is right. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Calvin Coolidge said, Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. Well, we can modify some of his comments here. The world is full of educated derelicts. We need right education, and that's why we're here. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Well, Calvin will help modify your philosophy here and when time comes in the future. Thomas Edison. Well, I'll come back to him a little later. But number three is to be totally committed. We made that commitment and uh, counted the cost in Luke, the 14th chapter. Let's turn to Romans, the 14th chapter. Romans 14. Maybe this is what I've already quoted. Romans 14 and uh, verse 7. Romans 14, starting with verse 7. 
For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So again, are you committed? Are you totally in God's hands? Have you said, as I try to encourage people I counsel at baptism, that you are giving your total body to God and to Christ? That is, from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, that every finger, every toe uh, belongs to God and to Christ, that you can't reserve your little toe for yourself and give the rest of your body to God. It has to be 100%. In the same way with your time. When you made that commitment, you didn't say, okay, I'm going to give you my life, Lord Jesus, except for 30 seconds of every day. I'll give you 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 30 seconds, but I'm going to reserve 30 seconds to do my own thing. No, you can't do that. It has to be 100% commitment. And as we approach the Passover six weeks from tomorrow night, we need to think of those commitments. Number three is to be totally committed. Number four is to understand the purpose for trials because people give up when they face trials. Let's turn to James, the fifth chapter, James 5. Again, we think of the saints, those who persevered, and one of the classic examples of perseverance, of course, is the patriarch Job. James comments on him in James 5, and we start here in James 5 and verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Yes, understand the purpose for trials. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And so, well, why? Job was wondering, why am I going through this trial? You know, I, I want uh, someone to stand up for me so I can be uh, justified. But, of course, uh, later on, a young man uh, began to tell Job what his problems were, that he was self-righteous, that he wasn't really counting on God, But God knew that Job was a person who was committed, and he set us an example of perseverance. In fact, Mr. John O'Gwin wrote an article on uh, seven lessons from the book of Job. It should be in our Living Church News uh, library. Verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren. James 5, we'll back up here to verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are closer to the second coming of Christ than at any other time in history. We need to persevere and understand the reason for Trials and suffering, and of course I won't turn there, but Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let's turn to James, the first chapter, you know that well, but 
let's understand one of those trials that we face. My brethren, count it all joy. James 1, verse 2. How many times a day are you frustrated because you're falling into various trials or problems or obstacles and they become frustrating? You know, I, I get frustrated when, uh, you know, there's too much traffic. Uh, but God says, count it joy. And it's not joyous to me. And some of us say, oh, I, I, I really enjoy trials. Well, I don't. I really do not enjoy trials. I can count it joy. Uh, because why? Because you know that there is a purpose and a benefit to that trial, as James continues to explain. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You learn patience and perseverance, which add to your character. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, verse 3. And yes, we should examine ourselves. Why am I going through this trial? Have I done something wrong? Are there lessons that I should learn? And we should analyze ourselves and analyze circumstances. And sometimes you realize, well, yes, I should have done A, B, and C, but I didn't. And other times you don't know why you're experiencing a trial. And if you don't know why you still can come to one conclusion that the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have that perfect work because God is creating in you and me His perfect, righteous, godly character. Key number four, principle for persevering, is to understand the purpose of trials and exercise patience like Job did and others did. Number five is hold fast to the truth. And, of course, we realize the Philadelphians have to hold fast. Of course, that expression is used in a message to the other, some of the other church eras as well, or church groups. Revelation 3 and verse 10. Revelation 3 and verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere. You are commanded to persevere. Never give up. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall look upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And, of course, he tells us in verse 8 that we have a little strength, but we have kept God's word and have not denied his name. But we must keep his command to persevere, and God will protect us from the great tribulation to come, the Petrosmos, the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world, verse 10, to test those who dwell on the earth, because we have already been tested, and we've passed those tests. So hold fast to the truth. You can check out uh, sermon number 447, hold fast as well. Let's turn to First Peter, the fourth chapter. First Peter 4. Hold fast to the truth. You know, when we go through trials, we need to have the big picture and understand that, yes, God is creating in us His perfect character. And First Peter 4.19 gives another perspective on holding fast and enduring to the end. He tells us in First Peter 4.19, after he talks about the church going through the judgment, 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. That is, you continue to do good, as some of the other translations have it, continuing to do good. Number five, then, is to hold fast to the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, hold fast to that which is good. You know, there are many of, you may have read in the papers about the uh, hurricane, I'm sorry, the earthquake survivors in, uh, in Haiti. And, uh, of course, I was telling the Tomorrow's World lecture there in Kingston, Jamaica, they are in the same fault line. There are two tectonic plates that meet at the northern part of uh, Jamaica. And they are only 120 miles west of Port-au-Prince where that earthquake occurred. But you've read some of the inspiring stories. Trapped five days under the rubble. Trapped five days in the rubble of a hospital, nailed to the floor by the leg of a bunk bed. The 23-year-old carpenter played his life over in his mind and dreamt how he would live it differently if a miracle set him free. He didn't know that he was going to be freed. And yet here are human beings in the rubble of an earthquake who endured day after day, night after night, not knowing whether they would be freed. But this 23-year-old said, I kept thinking, what a pity to leave so early with so little accomplished. Benito Ravula said, that miracle now a reality. How would you survive under those circumstances? And then you may have heard of the unusual Rescue of a girl who was there for more than two weeks, 14 days, trapped in the rubble of the earthquake. Mother of rescued girl never gave up hope. Part of Prince Haiti. She is amazing her doctors, the 16-year-old choir girl who came close to dying but didn't in the concrete graveyard of Port au Prince. More than two weeks after the earthquake brought down her school and a week and a day after she was lifted from the ruins, Darlene Etienne was eating yogurt, talking, and regaining her strength Thursday. We are very surprised at the fact that she is still alive, said Dr. Evelyn Lambert, who is caring for, for her on a French hospital ship offshore. The Dr. Lambert expressed amazement at her survival, saying it seemed to defy biological facts. Neighbors said that she believed, they believed she was trapped in a shower room and may have gotten to water. Rescue said she mumbled something about having a little Coca-Cola with her in the rumble. But amazing, two weeks, can you imagine, just day after day after day, night after night, wondering whether you're ever going to be rescued or not. Will you persevere unto the end? You know, that reminds me of uh, uh, the Apostle Paul. And take a look at that briefly here in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He persevered. He went through all kinds of privations and terrible trials. As he says here in his suffering for Christ, 2 Corinthians 12, 11, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11, he said, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths off, often. He's arguing against these false apostles. Verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had been in the deep. 
in journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. And across the page, chapter 12, when he had asked God to relieve him of the thorn in the flesh, he said to me, Paul writes, verse 9 of chapter 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the Apostle Paul endured. He went through all kinds of privations, many more than perhaps most of us or any of us have ever experienced. So number five, then, is to hold fast to the truth. There are those who are wanting to hear new truth, as they call it, which is just really false doctrine disguised as a counterfeit, which is, is a counterfeit. But we need to, again, stick to the truth and obey the truth and understand the truth, the good understanding of all they that keep his commandments, Psalm 111 and verse 10. So don't neglect the truth. Well, let's just take a look at that. One final warning in key number five here is Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Because those who fall away, you know, one of the reasons for the unpardonable sin and it's in our current Tomorrow's World magazine. Have you committed the unpardonable sin? You know, two basic ways. One is through bitterness, and the other one is through weakness. And we're warned here in Hebrews 2 about the one that leads to weakness. The Apostle Paul writes here in Hebrews 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So again, we better not neglect the gift of salvation, and the truth that God gives us so freely. So number five is hold fast to the truth. Number six is to come back from defeat and failure. To come back from defeat and failure. When all looks hopeless, you have to look to the Savior again. Let's turn to Hebrews, the seventh chapter. And always remember that if you failed, you can come back from failure. Hebrews 7 and verse 25, And you appeal to your great high priest. Therefore, speaking of our great high priest who has an unchangeable priesthood, Hebrews 7 verse 24, verse 25, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost, or completely or forever, to make intercession for them. 
He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ knows you, and he's at the right hand of God to make intercession for you as your great high priest, because he knows what it's like to be tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. You think about other people who have persevered, who came back from defeat and failure. I won't go into the whole story, but you know the story of Joseph, who was sold as a teenager into slavery. And he was unjustly put in prison. But God even blessed him in prison and made him the monitor of that prison. And later on, he, of course, in one day, became the leader under Pharaoh of all Egypt, just in one day. He came back from defeat and failure in one day's time. God arranged that. I just, I think, referred to it briefly, but I'll just quote that scripture in Hebrews 11, verse 22, mentioning Joseph, just one sentence about him. Hebrews 11:22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. There are others who never gave up. Let's turn back to uh, Genesis 32. Take a look at one other persevering individual who came back from defeat. Because he was not going to be defeated by the Lord, and so he hung on. That was Jacob, Genesis the 32nd chapter, Genesis 32, and verse... 23. Well, he took his wives, sent them over. Verse 24, Genesis 32. When Jacob was left alone, a man, notice in the New King James, man is capitalized, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, actually the Lord in this case, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, Tell me your name, I pray. Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed them there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob wrestled with the one who became Jesus Christ, and he would not let him go. He prevailed with him. And that is one of the key principles for uh, my sermon on ten strategies of prayer years ago, and that is wrestle with God in prayer. I'll tell you the story. I've told it before, but it was a case in... Uh, Pasadena, when I was there as an instructor, and a married couple, students at the college, a young lady was uh, having a birth, and uh, it was a breech birth and could not deliver. And they had unwisely not had uh, proper medical uh, monitoring of the situation, and of course could have been disastrous, a reputation for uh, the college and the church. But anyway, I went over and anointed her, and uh, asked God to bless her, 
and uh, that the baby could be delivered naturally and, and all right. And I went back and told God, I'm going to wrestle with you for, for an hour. And, uh, and prayed for an hour for that woman in giving birth, telling God, you know, look, this is important for the college, it's important for the church, it's important for the woman, it's important for the baby. And so after the hour, I called, and the baby was born 15 minutes after I started praying. So I wrestled with God 45 minutes after he had answered my prayer. But sometimes we have to wrestle with God in prayer and persevere with God in prayer. Jacob persevered. We think about those who've come back from defeat in other ways. Thomas Edison said, Many of life's failures are people who do not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison was asked by a reporter one time, Well, why didn't you give up after 5,000 experiments failed trying to find a filament for the electric light bulb? And he said, I have not failed. I have identified 5,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> and he went on to persevere and to invent the filament for the electric light bulb. He had a similar experience in inventing the electric battery for the Ford automobile later on. So he says, many of life's failures are people who do not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. And then there's the story of Florence Chadwick, who was trying to set a record flying, uh, swimming from, what's the island off uh, the coast um, of uh, uh, California? Yes, Catalina, thank you. And so she was swimming from Catalina, trying to set a record getting to Long Beach or, or Los Angeles. And she, she was getting tired, getting tired, and she said, well, no, I, I, I better give up. And she, there was a boat right next to her, so she just got in the boat. There was fog there, and the fog lifted, and there was the shoreline just 100 yards away. She gave up too soon. No, she couldn't see the goal, the finish line, but she was there. Just as Thomas Edison said, someone gives up just when they were so close to get, achieving success. Uh, Dr. Dr. Armstrong, uh, Mr. Armstrong's booklet, The Seven Laws of Success, he writes this on page 30. Yes, nine and ten, at least once or twice in a lifetime, come to the place where they appear to be totally defeated, all is lost, apparently that is. They give up and quit when just a little more determined hanging on, just a little more faith and perseverance, just a little more stick to would have turned apparent certain failure into glorious success. Law number six, then, is perseverance, stick to Then he describes his own situation of having his business wiped out on two occasions, in 1926 and then later in 1929. But I did not quit or give up living. That was when my life goal was changed. So come back from defeat. You, you find these people and you wonder, how can they survive such long periods of time through their privation? The Apostle Paul and all he went through. Another story that has inspired me over the ages was the one of a bush pilot in Alaska. You know, many uh, 
pilots. There are more pilots per capita in uh, Alaska than any of the United States, and they're known for flying anywhere uh, and landing on little short runways. Or uh, I've experienced that uh, when we went moose hunting up there and landed an airplane and uh, skis. I won't tell you about the, and then the next plane crashed, but I, I thankfully were able to escape. That's another story I'll tell you another time. But this one is called Lost in the Arctic. Uh, here's an individual whose single-engine Beaver aircraft was blown off course and forced down in the winter wilds of northern Canada on February 3rd, 1967. The author, Robert Gauchy, writes, I had no doubt that one of my fellow bush pilots would soon have, soon have me out and winging safely homeward. But then my radio and homing beacons failed, and I had to face the hard truth. I was lost in a blizzard-ridden land with temperatures 60 degrees below zero, where searchers would never even to think to look. My first concerns were food and warmth. And though these were far from abundant, I did have enough emergency gear to fend off starvation or death by exposure. But then it got dark and lonely, and he began to get depressed. But then he found a Reader's Digest. And so he began to read the stories of hope and inspiration. I think now that I would have surrendered to the hopelessness of those empty hours had I not ex unexpectedly come upon a valued friend, a copy of the Reader's Digest left behind by some long-forgotten passenger. I read it from front to back, and then I read it again, and I found in it inspiration, the stimulation to keep trying, for between those covers was a taste of sweet world I longed to get back to, its ideas, its face, its, its faith, its laughter. Through the long days I read and reread a stirring denial that our God was dead, denying that. In the sleepless nights I remembered touching stories of family life, and suddenly my wife and daughters were very close to me, and so I stayed alive. On the 59th day, having survived longer than any other man ever lost in the Arctic, I was found. A passing aircraft spotted me entirely by chance, and I flew home at last carrying my few belongings in an old suitcase, but I carried that copy of the Reader's Digest in my hand. Can you imagine just being in bitter cold for 59 days and still surviving? And yet Christ has told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you feel hopeless, just remember that. That God is with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Just to tell you one more story. I've got plenty of time here. And uh, again, another one story that's inspired me over the years is that of Captain Gerald L. Coffey of the U.S. Navy, who was a prisoner of war in North Vietnam for seven long years. And he wrote a book called uh, Beyond Survival, a POW story. Uh, he writes, I'll just give you a, a section of it, um, how he was uh, held and uh, beaten at times and so forth. What they did when they were in isolation, what the prisoners did in North Vietnam in their cell, they had a matrix for code. They had uh, five by five. They just did away with the letter uh, K, I believe it was. And so you have A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, E, five across the top. So A would be tap one, row one, column one. 
And so they could tap messages to one another where they're isolated in the wall. They go tap, 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 you know, row one, uh, column three. And they were able to communicate. And he said they even would teach others French. They would teach others uh, other uh, history or, or languages to keep alive. So he says, by tapping, we could breach brick and concrete and vast spaces in between. We could console, encourage, and even entertain one another. I would come to know and love other men as my brothers, sharing feelings for family, hometowns, and hopes for our future. In most cases, we would not have a chance to meet for years. Many times I would be down and hurting, being punished for some infraction, my ankles in the stocks on my slab, and my wrists cuffed tightly behind me. Meanwhile, my buddy in the next cell would be up on the wall telling me to hang tough, that he was praying for me. Then when he was being punished, I'd be on the wall doing the same for him. Almost every night before we'd go to sleep, we'd exchange on the wall GN for good night, or GBA, God bless America. I never learned who started that, but it became a custom, no a ritual for every man throughout the entire system for as long as we would be there. They would recite together the Pledge of Allegiance, the Lord's Prayer, tapping on the wall, focusing on the part that says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So he concludes with this uh, statement. He said, and when he got back safely to the United States, he said, Faith was the key to my survival. Faith in my fellow man, starting with all of you here, knowing you would be looking out for my family, and faith in my prison comrades, men upon whom I depended, and who in turn depended upon me. Faith in myself to pursue my duty and return home with honor. Faith in my country, especially its cause in Southeast Asia. And, of course, faith in my God, truly the foundation for it all. And then the article concludes by saying, Captain Gerald Coffey served his last three years in active duty and retired from the Navy in 1985. Looking back over his experience, he says, Our lives are a continuing journey, and we must learn and grow at every bend. As we make our way, we can simply do our best, sometimes stumbling, but always moving forward the finest within us. With that as our destination, we can do more than survive. We can go beyond survival. I've thought of that several times. I think, well, I'm, I'm surviving through this trial or that trial. But God wants us to go beyond survival. Number six key for principles for perseverance is come back from defeat. Key number seven is trust in the power of Christ. We already read that, but let's turn back to it once again. The Apostle Paul going through so many privations and beatings and a day and a night in the deep and had to persevere through all of those trials and tests. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and uh, verse 9. Let's read that again. We read it once before. But, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9. Key number 7. 
is to trust in the power of Christ. So we need to run the race with patience. God will give us the victory. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I had a friend which I actually saw after about 50 years. He was in the fraternity that uh, at, at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute where I was a student in civil engineering. And, of course, some of those technical courses are very difficult and challenging. Joe Gambino uh, was uh, there in his study at his desk with the door open. I just happened to walk by when Joe was studying, and he was looking down, and he said, Never give up! Never give up! Never give up! It was a challenge studying those technical engineering courses, and Joe inspired me over those years with that attitude. I was able to see him a few years ago at a reunion in Williamsburg, Virginia, and again complimented him and thanked him for that example of dedication and perseverance. We do have to trust in the power of Christ because we know that we of ourselves are helpless. But we've talked about seven, briefly, seven principles for persevering. One was keep your eye on the goal. Two is to run the race with consistent effort and patience. Number three was to be totally committed. Number four is to endure through suffering. Look at the end result of your trials. Understand the purpose of your trials. Number five is to hold fast to the truth. Hold fast that which you have that no man take your crown, Jesus told the Philadelphians. Number six is to come back from failure and defeat. And we think of Joseph who was in prison, and yet God honored him when he had persevered through long periods of trial and test. And number seven is to trust in the power of Christ. Remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. All of those we discussed exercised perseverance. Wilma Rudolph, Julie Moss, Joe Gambino, Captain Gerald Coffey, the pilot down in the Arctic for 59 days. They all persevered. They persevered for a physical goal. We know that Moses and Job and Joseph and Christ persevered for a spiritual goal. As we approach the Passover just six weeks from tomorrow night, let's consider our commitment to endure to the end, to persevere. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Brethren, let's persevere, and let's realize, of course, as Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's endure and persevere to the very end.